It's been a depressing, demoralizing, and dangerous week. As always in the Middle East, only more so this week, trying to make sense of the reality, the causes and effects of developments, who did what to whom, and why did it generate this response is more complicated than ever. Understanding context and assigning moral responsibility to not lend themselves to the way we communicate nowadays. Newspaper headlines, social media messages, even videos shot from the scene frequently distort and camouflage what is really happening. Often their purpose is not to inform. Rather, they are tools in the arsenal of promoting whatever narrative their progenitors believe. It is as true for tweets as our most respected media outlets. Events have unfolded in such rapid, violent, and disorienting succession this week that I'm struggling to find the right words. I sense extraordinary danger a kind of inflection point that we will look back upon one day and conclude was critical in shaping future events. Sometimes in history, the most promising eras followed the darkest nights. Sometimes it takes deep and widespread trauma to shake people out of their complacency. But other times, dark periods produce a long, unforgiving night of misery and despair. May it be that this dark week yields soon to the sunrise of a new day, that perceiving the abyss that lay ahead all the rep responsible parties step back from the brink and try again to repair the breach. I'll make five points. One, I mourn the loss of life already inflicted and lament the many future tragedies that will befall both Israelis and Palestinians in the days ahead. The axiomatic presumption of Judaism is that all human beings created in the divine image have equal worth and equal standing in the sight of God. It matters not where we reside, an Israeli in Tel Aviv, a Palestinian in Gaza, a Syrian refugee, an Iranian dissident, all are endowed with divine essence. For this reason, our sages teach, whoever destroys life, it is as if he has destroyed the world entire. And whoever saves life, it is as if he saved the world. Two, war is horrendous. It constitutes a breakdown of the moral order envisioned for humanity. To be a Jew 
is to yearn for peace. All that is written in the Torah is written for the sake of peace, the Talmud states. Practically every major prayer in our daily liturgy contains an appeal for peace. We are commanded not only to want peace, but to seek peace and pursue it. Judaism asserts that nations need not be in perpetual conflict. If we try hard enough, we can establish, if not love, then at least non-belligerence with our enemies. Judaism never advocated pacifism. We are not obligated to sacrifice ourselves to those who seek our demise. Still, while asserting the right to self-defense, tradition emphasized who is a hero, one who turns an enemy into a friend, to kill another human being, even in a morally defensible cause is to distance God. Three, no matter the grievance, there is no justification for the purposeful targeting of civilians. Every single one of the 2,000 missiles fired on Israel constitutes a war crime. Every single one. No country in the world would or should tolerate indiscriminate attacks on civilians. Can you imagine what our country would do under similar circumstances? The entire history of the world changed after terrorists attacked the World Trade Center. Hamas is an anti-Semitic terrorist organization dedicated to the destruction of Israel. Islamic Jihad is Iran's subsidiary in the Gaza Strip. They are criminals to support, rationalize, or whitewash Hamas is to side with murderers. And therefore, it is especially distressing to me that some Palestinian supporters in both the Middle East and the West ignore, or worse, justify these war crimes on Israeli civilians in the name of justice, no less. I think that some of them prefer passive Jews. I think that some are uncomfortable with Jewish sovereignty that seems so at odds with history. I think that Jewish 
prime ministers, let alone Jewish fighter pilots and tank commanders disorient them. It upends the 2,000-year image of meek, powerless, and persecuted Jews, the historical reality that led to the near extermination of our people. I think that for some, accusing Israel of disproportionality or genocide or ethnic cleansing is their way of mitigating their own guilt for the historic persecution of Jews perpetrated by their own communities. I sense in some an almost gleeful attitude to the barrage of missiles. You Jews, you high and mighty Chosen ones who preach morality to us day and night, finally you are getting your comeuppance. I have little patience for the preachy prophets of proportionality. Such people have never experienced terror. They have never been targets of missiles. They have never heard the wail of sirens, never been at the scene of a suicide bombing, never had to pick up the body parts of babies. And thus, they can justify or rationalize every missile attack. They consider every Israeli response disproportional. It's a less complicated way of depriving Israel of its right to self-defense at all. For them, every Israeli response is disproportionate because Israel's entire existence is unjust. Israel was a mistake. Born in original sin, they say. The sin of colonialism and oppression. They seek to defend attacks on Israel while condemning any Israeli response. What a comfortable moral perch from which to blow unprincipled smoke. How's this for proportionality? Don't fire at Israel and Israel won't fire at you. to urge or condone armed resistance and to protest proportionality at the first sign of an Israeli response is not moral courage. It is moral preening, virtue signaling, a kind of moral pubescence disconnected from the real challenges of real people. Moral courage would be to go into the Gaza Strip, bringing your Western values of tolerance, pluralism, and coexistence, and pressure Hamas to change its ways, if not for the good of Israelis, 
at least, for the good of the Palestinian people. Even those who rightly seek to improve Palestinian conditions cannot place their hopes on Hamas. We are at war with Hamas, all of us. Even the Palestinian Authority is at war with Hamas. All those who care about freedom, dignity, tolerance, women's rights, LGBTQ plus rights, minority rights, all who care about religious and national coexistence must work towards and pray for the defeat of those who believe in none of these principles. Even Israel's opponents, those who blame Israel and no one else for Palestinian suffering, even they cannot hang their hopes on Hamas. Hamas is not interested in peace. It's not pursuing a two-state solution. It is not seeking coexistence. It wants Israel's annihilation. Hamas cannot be persuaded to be nicer to Israel. No student activist or intersectionality theorist will persuade Hamas to be kinder to the Jewish state. History teaches that extremists cannot be reasoned out of something they did not reason themselves into in the first place. Nor can they be appeased. But they can be deterred. And this deterrence is what Israel is trying to reestablish now. It is precisely this that Israel opponents are trying to prevent. Because to prevent deterrence is to weaken Israel. But remember, everyone else in the neighborhood is watching carefully. If they sense Israeli weakness, if they think that Western powers will abandon Israel, or as some commentators have argued this week, that America should reduce political or financial support of Israel, if they see any of this, then what we are seeing this week will be child's play in comparison to the death, devastation, and destruction that will rain down on the Middle East in the months and the years to come. The land disputes in and around Jerusalem were not the precipitating events of the conflict, although there are legitimate Palestinian grievances over land ownership. Israeli police actions around the Al-Aqsa Mosque were not the precipitating events of the conflict, although there are legitimate complaints 
about excessively harsh police tactics. Provocative marches of Jewish extremists were not the precipitating event of the conflict, although there are too many Jewish extremists who are too close to political power in Israel. Sadly, the rise of political extremists is sweeping the entire world. You might have noticed that we have a few extremists in Congress nowadays. Even Britain has one or two lurking around Parliament. The reassertion of moderation, the re-empowerment of political and intellectual moderates is among the central challenges of our times, and yet another reason for moral clarity. All of the rationalizations cited by Hamas for its unprovoked attack on Israeli civilians are part of the context. Of course they are, but they are not the driving forces. Seventy-three years ago today, May 14, 1948, Israel declared statehood. Today is the secular day of independence, Independence Day. Seventy-three years ago today, and especially on this day, it is worth remembering and reminding the driving force of this round of bloodshed is what it always was, the refusal to accept a Jewish state in the Middle East in any borders, under any circumstances. I cannot accept that Hamas and Islamic Jihad represent even the present, let alone the future of the Palestinian people. If they are the future, there is no future for the Palestinians. And if there is no future for the Palestinians, the future of Israel will be much bleaker. Four. Even more than the threat of Palestinian terrorists, the gravest security and long-term danger to Israel is the civil unrest exploding on the streets of Israel. Mob violence of one side on innocent victims of the other threatens to reverse decades of coexistence between Israeli Arabs and Jews. Lynchings in Israeli cities, towns, and villages sicken me. And if Jews do it, I am nauseated by this atrocious distortion of Jewish values. Every right-minded leader on both sides need to call out and condemn these vile criminals. Five. Of all of the many Jewish values I have endeavored to convey in the 17 years that we have been together, my central aim always was and is to emphasize and convey to you that all Jews are responsible one for the other.
When one Jew is attacked, all Jews are attacked. When one Jew feels pain, all are pained. We are a people. We are family. Our synagogue will continue to stand by Israel, not uncritically, but unconditionally. We will continue to uphold our Jewish responsibilities of mutual support and protection. A word to Jewish critics of Israel. We are a passionate, contentious, and argumentative people. We are intellectually vibrant, politically engaged, and communally active. We have strong opinions. We like ourselves this way. We are not afraid of vigorous debate. To the contrary, we believe that deliberation, disputation, and disagreement are the ways to deeper understanding and social repair. But there is a time and a place for everything under the sun. There will be time in the near future for the resumption of our internal debates, including the assignment of blame in a program. Now, when missiles are flying over Israel, when millions of traumatized Israelis run to air shelters multiple times a day, and when tens of thousands sleep many nights in shelters, when Israelis are being killed and wounded, now is not that time. Now is the time for support, sympathy, and sensitivity. It takes a hard heart, a heart harder than mine, to ignore the plight of our people at its most desperate time of need. Friends, Jews often feel alone, a people that dwells apart not reckoned among the nations. But it is not true. Many millions support us, worry about us, and pray for us. Our synagogue received a note this week from someone I don't know. She found us online. She writes, I just wanted to let you know that many of my Christian brothers and sisters are praying for the Jewish people daily, especially adding extra prayer for, prayers for what's going on right now. We stand with the Jewish people and love the Jewish people. May the Lord bless all of you. We pray for a speedy end to the current bloodletting. We pledge to continue to seek peace and pursue it, tilling the soil of reconciliation, 
fighting in self-defense when necessary, but extending the hand of friendship wherever and whenever possible. Famed Israeli poet Natan Alterman forever captured the spirit of Judaism. Don't stop after beating swords into plowshares. Don't stop. Go on beating and make musical instruments out of them. Whoever wants to make war again will have to turn them into plowshares first.